Hey guys, good evening, or good morning, or good evening, good afternoon, depending on where you guys are at. Um, let's just give it a couple more minutes for more people to stream in, and we'll get today's um, spaces started. Sound good, Ruben. Thanks for having us on. Hey, Billy. Good to have you on. Hey, Dion as well. Hey, morning. Morning. Where are you guys based in? So I'm in Chicago. Oh, wow. It's probably pretty yeah. early for you guys right now, right? 7 a.m. Yeah, I'm in New York. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, 6 here. We've got, a, we've got a, like a, I don't know, a two-week-old. So, you know, right now is her feeding time. So uh, I'm up. Oh. So it's okay. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Is it your first, first child? Thanks, man. No, it's our third, but... Um, but still, you forget you forget what it's like to have a baby in the middle of the night. Right. I I just had my first kid earlier this year, so she's like. Oh, congrats! Yeah, thank you. She's like seven months now, but yeah, I still remember like the first three months was pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least she's cute, you know. I know, right? At least they're cute. I think there's something in the natural de- design of babies that allow us to tolerate this kind of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Mother Nature knew what she was doing. I know. Yeah. Okay, great. I think we can get started. We have we have more people in now. So, yeah, I just want to welcome everyone to our second Big Banter Spaces uh, session for all things crypto. So, yeah, really, it's been a pretty good couple of days and lots of hopium going on around with Grayscale winning the lawsuit against SEC. Um, I'm seeing lots of bullish comments about Bitcoin ETFs being approved um, and even ETH um, ETFs as well by association with the next uh, two quarters. So, super good sentiment uh, going around these couple of days, even though no one really knows what will happen. <laughs> yeah, and you know, for today's session, super happy that we got Term Finance on. Um, just a short introduction on my end before I pass it on to Billy and Dion, who are the co-founders of Term Finance. So Term Finance are a decentralized uh, non-custodial lending protocol where users can borrow or lend on a fixed basis um, by participating in weekly auctions. Um, and also for you guys on the space, we are doing a simple giveaway later where one lucky person will get 100 USDT and there will be a secret code that we are announcing later that will really boost the chances of winning. So do stick around now for that. Alright. And without further ado, um, just want to welcome Billy and Dion from Term Finance. Um, maybe you guys could give us a quick introduction on how you guys got started in crypto um, and how Term Finance uh, came about. Yeah, sure. No, thanks for having us on. And, and good morning, good evening, everybody. Uh, so I'm, I'm Billy, one of the co-founders at Term. Um, you know, I started, started my career you know, right before the financial crisis. Um, the first, the first company that I worked with was a, a carbon market where, you know, we created environmental uh, spot and futures products. Ultimately, that company was sold to ICE in 2010. You know, around that time, um, I heard about Bitcoin um, and, you know, seeing the world burn as a result of the financial crisis and intermediaries. Um, it just really resonated with me. So, you know, been a been a fan for a long time and an investor uh, in in coins for for some time as well. Um, you know, after after the company was sold to ICE, though, you know, I, I bought back a subsidiary uh, from ICE, and then ultimately it was in the the reinsurance markets, and ultimately sold that business into Aon. Uh, ran a trading desk for Aon for a few years, and then joined up with some of the co-founders of, of Climate Exchange, where after the LIBOR crisis, um, you know, where, where large banks were manipulating the, the London Interbank offer rate, you know, we actually looked to create an alternative to LIBOR um, and set up a Fed funds trading platform in partnership with SIBO, where as a result of trading activity, we published an interest rate benchmark called Ameribor. Um, that interest rate is something you'll see on like CNBC and Bloomberg kind of floating in the corner and it is used by 
banks in the United States to price the asset side of their balance sheet. Um, you know, fast forwarding a, a few years, um, you just saw kind of what was happening in around DeFi summer and just said, you know, I, I, I got to do, I need to jump into DeFi full time. Um, and so found a team out of Australia that was very deep in the chain link ecosystem, operating nodes and other Web3 uh, crypto infrastructure. And they were building out um, uh, perpetual protocols on the Arbitrum ecosystem. And so was leading up a core team uh, building out those per protocols. And in that process, actually, we accumulated, at least at one point, a pretty significant treasury. And so in that process was looking to bring on a dedicated DAO tre treasury manager. And in that process, uh, now met my, my co-founder, Dion. Um, so maybe Dion, maybe give a, a bit of your background. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Billy. So my background in TradFi as well. I started my career in New York before the financial crisis at a hedge fund called the Shaw in New York. After a couple of years, was interested in pursuing public policy. So moved down to Washington, D.C. and joined the Federal Reserve Board of Governors um, from 07 to 09. So straddling the financial crisis. After that program was complete, you know, sort of my exposure up and down in D.C., decided to get a law degree. Ultimately graduated with a law degree in Harvard but knew pretty early on that I didn't want to practice law. So after graduation, moved back down to New York and started a career as a government bond trader, uh, trading U.S. government bonds, both on the sell side and on the buy side. And a couple years ago, I decided to leave to start a small family office focusing on systematic strategies and global macro. Um, it was also about a year and a half ago that I started to look into the DeFi space. This is back when bad funds were essentially zero and DeFi rates were in the double digits. So that naturally attracted me into the space. And after I discovered you know, sort of all the opportunities in DeFi, as well as the ability to swap tokens on chain, borrow and lend on chain. It's just fascinating. So as part of this journey, started to advise various crypto projects, both on the NFT and on the DeFi side. And one of those projects was serving as a DAO treasury manager. Um, and that's where I met Billy. He's also in this role as DAO treasury manager for a protocol that started to see some of the gaps in the DeFi space. As a DAO treasury manager, you want to be able to have certainty on your rate of return for budgeting and forecasting purposes. Um, but in DeFi, most of the borrow-lend protocols are floating rate products. So including Compound and Aave, they're great products, very secure, very scalable but there's no way to have any certainty as to how much you're going to earn as a lender or as a borrower, there's no way to lock in your cost of funding. So as I started to explore this sort of market gap, personally, as a former bond trader, fixed income trader, it was extremely surprising that DeFi didn't really have a fixed rate market. In TradFi, fixed rates, are the largest financial market globally. And so for me, it just seemed like a natural opportunity to bring some of that experience from my career as a fixed income trader into the DeFi space to try to find a solution that would work on chain. Nice. Thanks. Thanks, Dion and Billy. So I guess Dion just explained how the whole idea for term finance came about. So wh when did term finance start? Um, was it a year, a year ago or was it earlier this year? 
Yeah, it was a year ago. Um, you know, around early summer last year, started coming up with this idea. Started working on it, you know, more as a side project. And by about late summer, early fall, the project was really starting to take shape. So decided to stop everything else and focus on building this protocol full time. So, you know, it's a funny story. We started we started our seed round fundraise on Halloween last year. A week later, FTX went bankrupt. So oh, definitely dear. an interesting time to uh, <laughs> start fundraising. But, you know, luckily everything turned out okay. Um, you know, got a commitment early December. And by middle of January, we had everything closed up and um, ready to go. Sweet. I think earlier you mentioned, you know, the usual DeFi learning protocols like Aave, Compound, how they're mostly floating rate. Um, and they do cater to a specific um, subset of people in DeFi, um, usually those that are looking for higher returns and things like that. So what would be the selling point for, for a term? Like, why, why do you guys um, think about, you know, giving a fixed rate? Um, and how will you see that against the competition that's in the market? Yeah, you know, certainly we're not trying to replace Aave or Compound. Um, you know, every market, there is a place for floating rates and there is a place for fixed rates. With floating rates, the benefit is you have open-ended loan terms. You can borrow and repay at any time that you want to. There's no minimum. There's no maximum length. But because of that, the interest rate is necessarily a floating rate. It's going to be a function of supply and demand at any given point in time. The downside with floating rates is that the rates aren't fixed. So we see quite often, you know, we have a nice blog post on this on our website. If you guys want to take a look. We see quite often in DeFi specifically, given the way these utilization curves work, you have frequent bouts of liquidity squeezes and variable lending protocols where around risk events like FTX or Silicon Valley banks collapse, where stablecoin interest rates will spike up above 50, 60, 70% even for you know, extended periods of time, you know, a few days to a couple of weeks. And as a borrower, that is obviously very uncomfortable. Most borrowers on these fixed rate protocols, I mean, these collateralized borrowing protocols are trying to earn a spread on some yield farming position. So maybe you hold wrap stake ETH, you're earning four, four and a half percent, and you try to borrow lower at, say, you know, three percent. And to the extent you're able to make that spread or carry of one to one and a half percent, and you can leverage it up, that small spread can become something more meaningful, you know, maybe even close to the low double digits. But when these interest rates spike up to 50 or 60 percent, now the yield farmer is taking significant losses. It's very uncomfortable, and in some cases, may even lead to liquidations. So by having a fixed rate, a yield farmer knows for sure exactly what their cost of funding will be. And they never have to worry about these short-term liquidity spikes where they have to prematurely close out their positions because the trade is no longer profitable. So I think that's the key value proposition on the borrower side. And on the lender side as well. If your view is that interest rates might be falling in the near to medium term, you might want to lock in your rate of return. And that way, if the interest rates do fall, you don't have to worry about it because you've already secured your interest rate for the term that you need. 
on the fixed rate lending side, you, there are a couple, you know, options out there in DeFi. They generally divide them into two categories. So the first category are the protocols that take a variable rate product and split it into a principal and yield token. The principal token is a fixed yield and the yield token is variable depending on you know, whatever ends up happening. This model is certainly very interesting, but it does not allow for fixed rate borrowing. It does solve the problem to some extent for the lender, but there really isn't a way for a borrower to be able to lock in a fixed rate. The other category are the category of fixed rate DeFi lending protocols that do allow for fixed rate borrowing and lending. So the two product projects in this space are Yield Protocol and Notional Finance. The problem with the existing fixed rate borrow and lend protocols is that they're not very scalable. They all rely on the same AM, a similar AMM mechanism or DEX pool where LPs are required to deposit capital into the pool that sits idle waiting for transactions to show up. In between, they generate no fees. So the average real yield to LPs is about half a percent a year. It's not very high. And then on the bar side, the slippage is just not usable at institutional scale. So in practice, if a bar tries to take out one or two million from the pool at any single point in time, you'll typically see slippage where interest rates will rise from say 4% to six or 7%. So that's a 50% slippage. It's just not usable at institutional size. So really with term, we set out to find a solution to enable both fixed rate borrowing and lending in a scalable way where you don't have to have the capital inefficiency of an AMM DEX pool, but also has the scalability to enable large scale borrowing and lending on chain. Right. And sorry, I'm also just looking at your blog post right now. Really, really good trove of information on what you just explained earlier uh, with diagrams and things like that. So was that why you guys um, went ahead with the auction model? Um, because for fixed rate, the current way they're doing it, the EMMs are just not giving enough yield um, for, for most users. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think the key insight that we had in designing this mechanism is that if you want to match large volumes of borrowing and lending, this type of activity is much more like primary market activity than it is like secondary market trading. So DEXs were designed to facilitate trading of volume on the margin for tokens that have already ICO'd that already exist. They weren't designed for transacting very large volumes of tokens. In our view, matching large volumes of bars and lenders is much more like an ICO or an IPO or a bond issuance than it is like secondary market trading. So thinking back to my days as a former government bond trader, I had participated in hundreds of US government bond auctions Every G7 country still issues government bonds in the first instance through a public sealed bid auction process. So what we decided to do was to bring that sealed bid auction process on chain to match borrowers and lenders uh, through weekly auctions on term. In this way, we don't need to have an AMM with idle liquidity sitting in a pool and we're able to clear any volume of supply and demand as long as there's matching size 
on both sides of the market without any slippage. Um, could you help me understand this model a little bit more? So this would mean that there would need to be a volume of people offering the loans um, before you have enough, you know, um, enough volume for them. People want to take the loans to come on board and then use the service, right? So how, how do you achieve that um, volume then? Yeah, so what we hold is a standard two-sided sealed bid auction. So on the lending side, a lender would come onto our platform. They would indicate how much they're looking to lend and what is the minimum interest rate they would accept in order to make that loan. So we can think of it sort of like a reserve price in an auction. The interest rate that is submitted is sealed. So nobody can see on chain what interest rate they submitted. It's hidden from the public view. On the borrower side, it's a very similar process. A borrower would indicate how much they're looking to borrow. And in this case, what is the maximum interest rate they'd be willing to pay up to? Once everybody has submitted their level and the auction has closed, the smart contract algorithm will determine a single market clearing rate that matches the largest volume of bars and lenders. Any bar that's willing to pay at or above that clearing rate will receive a loan. And any lender that's willing to lend at or below that rate will make a loan. In both cases, at the market clearing rate. Hence, no slippage. Everybody transacts at the same price. All other bars and lenders that don't qualify, their tokens are immediately returned to the wallets without any further action on their part. It's automatically sent back to them. Once everything is finalized, the bars will receive their loan proceeds directly from the protocol. And lenders will receive ERC-20 receipt tokens, call them repo tokens, that are redeemable for principal plus interest at maturity. And these tokens will be normalized to redeem one for one for the underlying borrow lend token so that in secondary markets, they would trade like a principal token that a lot of people are familiar with in DeFi. Right. So in essence, it kind of aggregates a different, from what I understand what Harvey explained uh, earlier, it kind of aggregates a different um, loan submissions submitted by the, the lenders. And then your smart contract then picks out the aggregate rate. And then it matches that with the people who are trying to to borrow at a certain at a, at a certain aggregate rate as well. Um, am I getting that correct? Yeah, exactly. You can think of it as an order book that clears only once a week. Oh, okay, okay, got it, got it. That is that is super interesting. Are you guys the first ones in this space to be doing something like that? Yeah, as far as we know, we're the first to bring double-sided sealed bid auctions fully on-chain to the DeFi ecosystem. So um, we're really excited to bring something new to the market. And so far, it's been working very well for our users. Nice. And what, what kind of user base um, do you guys have at the moment? Yeah. So on the lending side, this type of product, it is heavily over-collateralized low yield product. So these are for lenders who prioritize capital preservation over, you know, high yields. So it's much more of a liquidity management product on the lending side for larger institutions or whales who are concerned about safety of capital. On the bar side, because the interest rates are low, it's very popular amongst yield farmers. So large yield farmers. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. Who are looking to secure cheap borrow to leverage or increase the return on, the, on their yield farming positions. Nice. And how has the um, adoption been 
since you guys started? How do you guys um, you know, spread the word on this? Yeah, no, adoption has been surprisingly, has been surprisingly very good. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of, a lot of whales, whales that we do know, and some anonymous whales that we don't know, come in to borrow. It's really been market driven. So, you know, we recently started holding auctions where you can use SDI as collateral to borrow USDC, and that has really brought on a lot of. A lot of traction, uh, given that SDI is yielding five percent. Our auctions have typically been clearing between three and three and a half percent. So that's a healthy spread that these yield farmers are able to then loop. And because these are like for like assets, both stablecoin tokens, the leverage is much higher than you would have if you were to borrow USDC against say, Rapstick ETH instead. So really, it's been product-driven, and we've been very surprised and happy with the, um, with the traction that we've got. Last week, we cleared about 300K in total volume matched on our platform. And yesterday, we had a USDC, <coughs> excuse me, USDC SDI auction where we cleared 250,000 uh, with over, you know, 900,000 in borrowed demand from the market. Nice. And they are mostly based in the U.S.? Or do you guys um, also have users in other regions as well? It's global. In fact, we're actually geo-blocked in the U.S. Um, so our users are coming from all over the world. Right. Are you guys affected by the current um, regulation landscape in the U.S. at all? And, you know, how do you guys think this would develop in the, in the near future? We've been seeing a lot of news on SEC fighting different aspects of crypto and with varying successes um, and failures. So, you know, since you guys are from the U.S., just want to get some insight on that on your end as well. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so... Very early on, we did engage a white shoe law firm in Boston to analyze our protocol in the context of U.S. securities law. Um, there's a very strong argument that our protocol is not a security for a few reasons. Um, the first reason is that these tokens or this protocol, collateralized borrow-in, is much more like a note rather than a security. And because it's collateralized in low interest rate, it is not considered a security, but more like a exempt note, short-term note, because these are also very short-term loans. The decentralization of the protocol being fully on-chain, if you were to go into the Howey test, is also a decent argument against term finance being a security protocol. That said, given the amount of uncertainty in the in U.S. regulation of the crypto space, we decided to geo-block the U.S. nonetheless. Um, the protocol is not, the protocol itself is not run out of the U.S. It is not a U.S. legal entity. And so we're focusing our initial efforts on essentially the rest of the world where you know you don't have as antagonistic a government um, trying to stifle the crypto industry. Alright. Right. Just jumping back earlier when you mentioned um how lenders um they put up different collateral onto the platform. Um just wanna ask in more detail, so what, what assets um does term um, support at the moment? Yeah, term can actually support any ERC-20 or any token that follows the ERC-20 standard, like the new 4626 vault tokens. So SDI is an example of that. Um, we really deploy auctions right now based on user demand. So if there are any users that come to us saying that 
really want to borrow against a specific asset, and if there's sufficient interest there, then we will we will deploy that. Uh, you could imagine in the longer run, you know, if there is a token, it could be a decision that's left up to DAO governance. So it could be a decentralized decision where the community would decide, you know, which markets they they want to list. And, um, you know, in recent days, there has been a large trend towards various projects bringing RWA tokens on chain with sustainable real world yields, you know, kind of funneling that into the ecosystem. And term finance is a great platform for users to leverage up those products and, you know, try to magnify the returns from these stable RWAs. So we're really excited to see how that goes. Um, you know, working with a lot of projects right now, and and getting those markets kicked off. Nice, exciting to hear that. Um, personally, I, I do have a question on how this DeFi space is going to work out in terms of security. So you know, from time to time, we do hear that um, certain protocols. I think most recently we had Aave. Um, they got hacked, um, maybe through vulnerability in smart contracts and things like that. And I do see that on your side, um, this is part of the risk as well, right? So how are you guys protecting against that? And where do you see the DeFi industry as a whole um, going in terms of protection against uh, these, these, these hacks in future? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think there are, you know, our approach is sort of a, two or three pronged approach. So the first prong is based on the structural design of the protocol itself. So in the traditional borrow-lend protocols, there is a single collateral pool where all of the collateral is commingled into a single contract and any exploit puts all of the collateral at risk. On term finance, our collateral pools are segregated by term and token pairs. So each auction, the tokens from each auction are going into entirely different contracts. So if one contract gets exploited, you can immediately pause withdrawals on all the other contracts. So you have your eggs spread out across many baskets instead of putting them all in one single large basket. Um, beyond that, We've engaged in multiple rounds of security audits. We have engaged Sigma Prime out of Australia. They've done audits for projects like Aave and Chainlink and many other blue chip protocols. That's, you know, but that's obviously just a standard protective measure. And then lastly, beyond that, on the infrastructure side, we've spent a lot of time hired security experts in web two help lock down all of the potential attack vectors that may exist through our web two infrastructure. Um, and I think the last thing I would mention is that what you're starting to see now is that many of the simple straightforward security exploits that you saw early in D5 summer you know, those are pretty well known at this point. The security experts are very good at capturing those. So a lot of the exploits that you're starting to see in the past year have been predominantly business logic errors. So, you know, you have a complicated protocol, maybe like Euler. They had some function where they just implemented it incorrectly. It wasn't a traditional re-entry attack or something like that. They just had a flaw in the business logic that an exploit or a hacker was able to exploit. And so, you know, to address that, we did have very, very extensive testing in our testnet phase. We ran our testnet for over three months. And we also had a private beta for another six weeks after that. So our protocol has certainly gone through many, many iterations of auctions, investment, repayment cycles. Um, to really flush out all of those edge case scenarios um, 
to mitigate the risk of a business logic ex exploit in the protocol. Nice, that's good to hear. What about on, in terms of the users, especially those that are borrowing, how are you guys, um, you know, ensuring the credibility of the users? Is it something um, based on the collateral system or like transaction based on history of transactions um, kind of system? Yeah, all of the borrow lend on our protocol is over collateralized. So to that extent, you don't really care who the borrower is, as long as there's you know, collateral backing their loans and the collateral is liquid so that a liquidator could easily liquidate it in secondary markets to repay the loan. You're able to abstract it from the borrower's own personal credit. Um, so initially, that's why we're focusing entirely on fully over-collateralized borrowing and lending. Nice. Thanks for the response, uh, Dion. All right. I'm going to open um, this time for Q&A, but before that, just want to thank um, everyone who's been on Spaces so far. I promised earlier that there'll be, uh, there'll be a code word that will help you guys increase your chances of winning the 100 USDT we're giving out today. So the code word, I'm going to share it now, is PUMP. Right, I think pretty apt for what happened this week now with most of crypto, um, P-U-M-P, PUMP. So um, Gina is just going to help me share the link to our Glyn giveaway in the comments um, section. And you guys can just um, yeah, go ahead and participate. There'll be a few tasks to complete, like following... Um, terms uh, Twitter, following our Twitter, um, signing up for a big account and that one KYC. Um, yeah, but don't forget to key in the keyword pump to get extra chances to win this 100 USDT. And with that, I um, just want to open the floor for any questions. Feel free to unmute or, or just uh, send your questions in the comment section. We have a pretty quiet crowd today. Um, maybe I can just ask a question. I do see you guys um having a few um user profiles on your blogs um and showing how they can utilize some um, terms. So I'm just curious, like um, which user profile do you guys um are you guys seeing the most of right now, and do you expect that to change? Yeah, so in terms of the user profile on the barn side, we see a lot of leverage farming, leverage yield farming. And as long as the interest rates in DeFi remain low, we expect that to, to remain pretty steady. Um, you know, if one day in the future interest rates start to rise back up into the double digits, I think that will certainly change. But, you know, I think the most popular trade right now in DeFi is everyone's starting to recognize that DeFi rates are low, even lower than what the U.S. government has to pay in the U.S. Um, so that's quite extraordinary. And, you know, farmers who have the means and the expertise are definitely taking advantage of that. Um, the challenge has been finding assets that are able to return a sustainable yield. But with this new trend towards RWAs, more and more um, treasury-backed tokens earning, say, 5%, protocols like SDI with MakerDAO passing on real-world returns to its SDI holders, these new products are certainly starting to push rates up. So we saw that in the last couple of days, SDI was added to Aave. And since that time, USDC borrow rates on our Aave have certainly started to climb. So, you know, another short pitch for term 
if you think that this trend will continue and DeFi rates will start to slowly rise as more RWA assets come on chain, then now is a great time to lock in these rates for a longer term you know, before that materializes. Thanks, Dion. Hey, Andrew, I saw you requested to speak earlier. Do you still have a question? Uh, feel free to request and yeah, we'd like you to ask your, quest your question right away. Hey, yeah, can you hear me? Hey, Andrew, yeah, we can hear you. Hey, Jerome, guys, uh, good talk. Um, I guess two questions for you. Uh, one, I, and if you covered it, man, I missed it, I'm sorry, but um, it seems like the, the auction mechanism itself is pretty involved, and you use a lot of sophistication in that, and I wonder if there's any, anything else there you can touch on and, and kind of how it works from an auction theory standpoint. Uh, and two, are you seeing any B2B use cases for the, the auction, not me, like other protocols or, um, yeah, like apps that would, would actually participate in the, uh, in the auction directly? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so touching a bit on the auction mechanism. So one of the, one of the key things you want to achieve in designing an auction mechanism is what in the academic literature they call incentive compatibility. What that means is that the users or the participants in an auction should be incentivized to report their true valuation as a lender, the rate that you're willing to lend. There shouldn't be any reason to report anything other than your true bottom line. And as a borrower, the amount that you're willing to pay, there also shouldn't be any reason to report anything other than your true bottom line as a borrower. The way that you achieve that, you know, is kind of difficult. You can imagine that if the price that, if the clearing price in the auction is a function of the interest rate that the highest bidder is willing to pay, then that bidder is going to be incentivized to shade their bids slightly lower so they can get a better rate. And if everybody's rational and they know this, you can calculate some formula that tells you, you know, what is the right amount to shade your bid by. And that's obviously going to distort the results of the auction. And sort of a single-sided auction case, a very common solution is to implement a second price auction, which means that the highest bidder doesn't pay the price that the highest bidder placed, but rather the price of the second highest bidder. With that type of a mechanism, there's no incentive now to ever report anything less than your highest bid, because either you, if you win, you don't actually end up paying that price. You play the price of the second highest bidder. You don't have any control on that. But if you bid any lower than your highest price, you might actually lose the auction and not get what you're trying to bid for at all. So that type of a second price auction is a common solution in auction design to incentivize users to place their true valuation. In the double-sided auction context, it is a little bit more complicated, but essentially you do the same thing. You take the second highest bid, second highest offer, and then what you do is you take the average of the two. This way, the auction clearing price isn't a function of the most aggressive bidder or most aggressive lender. And you have a fair way that to determine the market clearing price where users now are no longer incentivized to try to game or shade their bids to influence the outcome. Um, so yeah, that's the question on the, that answers the protocol side. I think your second question was on, um, 
Yeah, if like uh, if like if like um if other if if protocols would participate in the auction directly, like if Ave's treasury or somebody could actually just um take out a, a use term as a user. Yeah, so on the integration side, it kind of works both ways. Um, one way is to the extent that we have stablecoin as collateral, there are a few options. You can keep that stablecoin naked and just hold it in the smart contract in the collateral pool um, idle. Another solution is you can deposit that into something like SDI. In our case, we just accept SDI directly, but there could be a world where users can just deposit DAI and it'll automatically get staked into the SDI contract. And then third, you can take these tokens and stake them into Aave. Aave has something called an A token. Um, they also have a wrapped version of the A tokens so that they act more like traditional ERC20s without rebasing. And so you can integrate with these existing lending protocols by staking collateral held in the smart contract and these other platforms so that borrowers are able to help defray their borrow costs um, so that their collateral assets are earning something while it's sitting there um, in the pool. That's a very common integration. You know, we've been talking to a lot of projects like this. SDI was furthest along this process, so they were the first to be onboarded into our protocol. But in the future, there are other borrowing protocols that we can we can integrate with as well on that side. And on the gotcha. flip side, as a as a user, you know, I think this will be a product that will be useful for DAOs on the lending side. You know, DAOs that have very large treasuries. You can think of maybe protocols like large insurance protocols that have a lot of insurance premiums sitting in the DAO that needs to be reinvested. Um, and those are natural candidates to be lenders on our protocol. And having a fixed rate is particularly important here because a lot of the insurance policies that are being written out by these protocols have fixed expiration dates. So typically you want to line up your assets and liabilities so that they match up in duration so that when the claim may come due, the cash will be redeemable at that time. So having fixed rate protocol and certain yields should be you know, beneficial to, to protocols like that. Yeah, I think other examples too were, you know, yield protocols, you know, protocols that are operating vaults can be natural lenders and or borrowers on a protocol like Turn, where they're operating, you know, either passive investment strategies or active investment strategies and utilizing the protocol in a way to either earn yield or access leverage in a cheap and effective way. Um, got it. And there's two uh, really um, comprehensive answers. Thanks. Uh, I guess if I understand the mechanism, right, if a couple of big treasuries were to pile up on the supply side, uh, <clears throat> would, would I expect that to um, lower the rate of expected rate of return on the, on the uh, lending leg? It depends where they set their reserve price. So you could have a lot of treasuries pile in but they all say I need to earn at least 5%. That's just you know off market from where rates are on Aave. So that won't necessarily lower the rates um, because all of the lenders put in essentially a limit price on these loans. Um, but yeah, in general, you would think that if all of these large treasuries are offering, offering loans at market rates, then that increases the capacity. And to the extent that the that we hold the borrow demand constant, you know, the market will likely clear at a lower rate than it would otherwise. Yeah, but you don't have that one-to-one -one, um, lowering of rates that you might see on a utilization model, like in Aave and Compound, where 
overall utilization of capacity of the borrow directly impacts the interest rate that lenders receive or borrowers pay. Um, so with term, it's more of a function of what is that incremental lender willing to receive and what is that incremental borrower willing to pay and, and how does that line up from a supply demand curve standpoint versus you know utilization and capacity uh, constraints of, of the AMM and, and variable rate, the typical variable rate model. Yeah, no, I think that um, that's super important. I think the um, the utilization model itself that like Ave use, I think is just a little rudimentary. So I'm glad to see that term has a, a little bit more of a sophisticated model. Thanks. Thanks. Great question. Sorry, something was off with my AirPods. Thanks, Andrew, for the question. Are there anyone else? Um, is anyone else with questions for both um, Billy and Dion? All right. If there are no other questions, I think just want to thank uh, Dion and Billy for taking the time. Um, super early in your day to come on and you know to talk to us about DeFi lending and it's a super interesting concept um fixed rate lending and how you guys are scaling it through auctions so if you guys are interested do check out their um, twitter handle and also check out their personal profiles all right um and for the rest of you who are still here thanks for staying on to the just a reminder that there is a green giveaway ongoing in the comment section and do check it out the keyword here is pump p-u-m-p if you key that in you have a much higher chance of winning the hundred dollars usdp price all right and with that i'll end on today's um, session of big banter dion bd thanks so much for coming on and yep speak soon and see you guys around thanks ruben thanks everyone for joining thanks, ruben. yeah appreciate you giving us an opportunity to join all right. Thanks, guys. All right. Talk soon, Talk everyone. Talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>